Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. By the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And I, I just believe there's, there is going to be, there's going to be an incredible encounter with God today. Empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Before we jump into this text, let me share this. Throughout the Old Testament, we, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit in many different ways. But one of the primary ways in which we see from the beginning the Holy Spirit's purpose for being in this world is that he produces empowerment for ministry. And so if you look in the Old Testament, you will see that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon different individuals to empower them for the task that God has given them. But if you notice, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, he came upon specific people for specific seasons to accomplish specific tasks. You see, there was a level of limitation and restriction in the Old Testament. And one of the ways that, that this was symbolized, and, and we're going to go in the next few weeks to, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, some of the symbols, is oil. Oil is one of the symbols for the Holy Spirit. And so if you've ever read throughout the Old Testament, you may have noticed that there would be times where God would anoint men with oil as a, as a picture that they had been clothed and empowered with the Holy Spirit, especially certain individuals like priests, kings, and prophets. We also see it with judges, and God even anoints certain individuals. He, he anointed, for example, a man to actually help build the, the, the tabernacle. But the point is, throughout the Old Testament, we see this continuous picture of the Spirit of God coming upon people to empower them for a season to do a task that God had given them. Without the anointing, without the empowerment, they would not be able to accomplish that task. And what I want to do, we're going to make a connection into our lives, but before I do that, I want to walk you through two specific scriptures with Jesus, because what I want you to see is that Jesus, as we often talk about, Jesus has opened a door. He's a pioneer. He's a forerunner for opening a door for us to carry the Holy Spirit in a way that no Old Testament figure could be able to do. There's a door that's been opened to us to walk with a level of empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you cannot find in the Old Testament. So I believe in my heart that as we look at the life of Jesus and then we see what takes place under the new covenant at Pentecost, that there is going to be a release of fresh oil today. I believe in my heart that God wants to clothe us with power because without it, we cannot do the ministry that he has called us into. And so for some, this may be something new that you've never walked in. For others, I believe God said it's going to be, there's going to be an awareness of what you've always had. You just haven't realized the power that you actually possess. Some of us are walking around not realizing what it is that we carry. Right, for example, how many of you, since you have given your life to Jesus, how many of you encountered a truth about Jesus that so changed your life after you've been saved, right? Happens all the time, but there's probably those few of those you say, oh my goodness, how did I not know this before? Now the reality is Jesus didn't change. You just came into awareness of the one you've always been in relationship with. You see, the Holy Spirit, some of us don't even understand the power and what Christ has opened up for us. So for some, there's going to be just an awareness that, man, this is who empowers you. This is who has clothed you. And it's going to lead to a shift in your walk. So let's look at this scripture. I'm going to look at two scriptures with Jesus before we make personal application. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 23 in the ESV. And this is what it says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. This is where he was water baptized. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. I'll come back to that. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said this. This is the voice of the Father speaking over the Son. He says, you are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And verse 23, let me just read the first part of it. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So I want you to picture this. Old Testament shows that there is there's a release of empowerment and anointing for certain people. Again, I want to stress this. Certain people for certain seasons to accomplish certain tasks. And the, and the prophets of the Old Testament were aware of this limitation. So the prophets, even, even if you go through the scriptures, especially Isaiah, there was a longing. There was a longing for the Messiah to come. In the Greek, it's the Christ. It's the anointed one. To be anointed is to be smeared with oil. They knew that when the Messiah would come, one of the ways that he would be distinguished is by the way that he, he carried the Holy Spirit. It would be very different than anyone else who has preceded him in the Old Testament. In the Gospel of John, when it speaks about Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist actually said, I saw, I saw the one who had the Spirit descend on him like a dove. It rested on him and it remained. It rested and it remained. And then in John 3.33, John says that Jesus received the Spirit without measure. There was no limitation to the Spirit that Jesus received. In fact, I want you to see right here in the Scripture, we have an understanding that Jesus received the Spirit in a different way because it says that the heavens were opened when he received the Spirit. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it actually says that the heavens were torn open. You see, when you read this, as I have for so long, because of the word that the Father speaks over him, which is very loving, and the fact that it says the Spirit comes like a dove, there can be this misunderstanding that this is a very passive event. That this is a very just, just gentle event. But actually, the scriptures say the heavens were rend open. They were torn open. This was a violent act speaking to the eruption of the spirit penetrating into the earthly realm in a way that we have never seen before. When the heavens were opened, it was testifying that there was a man that stood before Israel like no other. The spirit of God had never broken through into the earthly sphere like this. This was significantly different. Heaven was embracing earth in a way that we have never seen before. But as Jesus is a forerunner, this event was not, was not restricted to Jesus just personally. There's something that he's, he's walking in as he's making it available for each and every one of us. This is a climactic event in the grand story of redemption for man. It's literally testifying that the door is being opened because the Messiah is here for now man to be fully empowered by the Spirit in the way that God had always desired for them to be. Jesus is opening this door for each and every one of us. Listen to this in Isaiah 64, chapter 1. I love this. I never saw this before. Listen to what it says, just the first part. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The prophet Isaiah prophesied and longed for the day in which the heavens would be opened up and the Spirit of God would come down in a way that he had never experienced himself. And when it says that Jesus, when he was baptized, the heavens were torn open, it was a fulfillment of that very scripture. 
The Messiah was here. The anointed one had finally come upon us. This is so important to understand this because when it speaks to this open heaven, I want you to understand what this means. It means that there is no separation between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. I, I've never really studied this, and God has so just put a passion in my heart that I want to go deeper after this week of understanding what it means to live under an open heaven. Do you know that when you put your faith in Christ, you're operating under an open heaven? Like, when we talk about, live, last week we talked about living from a reality of an empty tomb and how, how our lives should, should continually proclaim that the tomb is empty. It's speaking to that being a launching pad for radical faith. The open heavens should be a launching pad for us to live in radical faith. It means that heaven's resources are available to each and every one of them. Us, the fullness of it are at our disposal. It's been released to us. It means that when Jesus had an open heaven, he heard the Father's voice speak over him. To live under an open heaven means you live under the continual flow of your Father's voice. It means you live in continual awareness, not of the darkness, but of your Father who is near and with you. Listen to me. Jesus said this. What did he say? He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only speak what I hear my Father speaking. This is what it looks like to live under an open heaven. Most of the time, I've heard it said this way, most of the time we live in, in reaction to the enemy rather than response to our Father's voice. And as a result, actually what happens is, is the enemy is dictating our agenda because we're so consumed with him. But to live under an open heaven is to realize, I don't need to be consumed with that. I can now see my father, hear my father, and I let him birth the agenda for my life. This is radically different in what Jesus is saying we have. I believe this is such an important word for our body. It's been confirmed a few times through different leaders, and then God just, just so made it clear to me as well. I have made the mistake, and I tell you this, I've made the mistake since coming here of emphasizing the oppression of Mastic Beach. Now, we all know that it's oppressed. I grew up in this area. I understand that. We all know that. We know, we know of the bondage here. But if we're not careful, we can emphasize that reality to such a degree that we actually begin to think we're living under that cloud of darkness rather than waking up every day in the confidence that we actually live under an open heaven. We have to shift our language. We have to shift our language to begin to see, wait, we're not operating. Even though there is darkness, we don't operate under that. We operate under an open heaven with the fullness of God's resources ready to be released for a man or a woman who understands what they can walk in now. You see, this is why God has placed us here. Not to cower in the corner, but to realize what Jesus has made available and for us to walk in that authority and that power. We need an open heaven. Man, I don't, so let me say it this way. If there, you have to look at your life right now. What in your life have you allowed yourself to come under this lie that you're under this darkness? Even when you feel that way, the truth is that's not the reality. You see, this is why it actually gets back to that renewed mind. Everything starts here. You have, to, you have to have a renewed mind, which is, man, even though I feel like I'm surrounded by darkness, the reality is there's an open heaven over me. And the reason why Jesus opened the heavens in a way that was just radical is because it speaks to the mission that the church really has. Because, I, I don't know, this is just my personal opinion. I know that the, the, in the scriptures it talks about times getting tough and there's persecution. 
But I think that can come to, I think we can take that to such a place that we actually think the church in the end days will just be huddled in a corner, hanging on for dear life. And my perspective is just completely different. And the thing is, God has not given us a mission to just hang on for dear life by the skin of our teeth until we get to heaven. The reason we have an open heaven is because the mission is to invade this earth with heaven. Jesus told the disciples in the Gospel of John, he said, everything the Father has given me, I give to you. That's not just because, well, just have fun and enjoy it, although there is enjoyment in doing that. But the reality is Jesus is trying to say your mission is bigger than just hanging on now. It's bigger than just putting a ticket of heaven in your back pocket and hanging on and just going Sunday after Sunday. He's raising up people to infiltrate this world with heaven on earth. And here's how I know and here's how I'm so confident that this heaven on earth is not just restricted to the life of Jesus. There's many ways, but the Lord, the Lord revealed to me this. When Jesus was crucified... And it said he breathed his last breath. The Gospels take us right into the temple. And in the temple, you know we speak often about this, there was the holy place and the most holy place where the presence of God was. And it says that when Jesus died, it says the veil was torn open from top down. The word that is used for the veil being torn open is the very same word that's used for the heavens being torn open. Which means the reason why we can operate under an open heaven is because he has opened the veil for us. Each and every one of us have this reality that we can live like this. Here's a homework assignment. We could stop right here and say, spend the rest of this week just asking, Lord, what does it mean I live under an open heaven? How should that shape the way I'm facing my circumstances? How should that shape the way I'm living my life right now? God, is, is there an area in my life where I'm not, I'm not living in that truth? So look at this. Look in verse 22. I want to read it again. Verse 22 in the same portion of Scripture. It says this, at Jesus' baptism. I want you to see this. We're going to make this connection pretty quick, and then we're going to pray. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So the heavens are ripped open. This is a climactic moment in the history of man. And then it says the Spirit of God descends on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, if you were to Google this image, most of you will find a picture of Jesus coming out of the water with a dove-like image, kind of like a hologram, coming to rest on his shoulder. <laughs> and it's not that there, there isn't maybe some truth in that, but I really believe God was, was showing me something a little bit different than what's happening here. Let me put it this way. How many know Jesus is said to be a lamb? Now, is Jesus an actual lamb? No. It speaks to his character, and it speaks to his sacrificial work. So when it says the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, it's not saying that an actual dove came to flutter on his shoulder. It speaks to the character of the dove, and it speaks to the type of ministry he would have. The reason why this is important is because it says he came down, Luke tells us he came down in bodily form, which means the Spirit, when he came down in, in some respect, it looked, like the being, it looked like a human being in some way. It came in a bodily form, which means Jesus was clothed. He was clothed with power, and this power was like a dove. Now, if you know where we're going in Pentecost, you'll understand why this is so important. Because Jesus is modeling something for us. You have to remember, you have to remember that Jesus willfully emptied himself, 
meaning he laid aside his divine attributes and power in order that he would take on this position of even a servant. And in this humble position, he made himself completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is modeling something for us. He is breaking open the door for what life is supposed to look like for us. It's a heretical teaching to say that at the baptism, Jesus became the Son of God. That's called adoptionism. That's not what we believe. Jesus, we are adopted sons, but Jesus is the eternally begotten Son. The Spirit of God has been very active in Jesus' life. We know it even from his birth on here on earth. I'm trying to, I want to show you something, that this is a very specific interaction with the Holy Spirit for a very specific purpose. He's receiving a clothing in order to do the work that the Father had sent him to do. And without the clothing of this power, he would not be able to do it. So listen, in verse 23, I want you to just see this, and we'll jump to the next scripture. Right in the beginning, it says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So do you see that connection? Jesus comes to the baptism, is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form, he's clothed in power, and in the very next verse it says, now he begins his ministry. He would not begin his ministry until he was clothed with power. Don't miss this. Don't worry about the kids screaming. (laughs) Lord, touch them as well. (laughs) Maybe the power's already in there. I don't even know. Open the doors. (laughs) So listen, Jesus, Jesus is teaching us something. He says, okay, I've come, I'm clothed with power, now I begin my ministry. From here, we know that Jesus is led into the wilderness. How? By the Spirit. He's confronted by Satan, he defeats him in the wilderness. Then it says he leaves the wilderness now, empowered by the Spirit. And then it says in Luke chapter 4, in the very next chapter, it says that a report started to spread all throughout Galilee. Ministry had started because the clothing of power had come. And he steps into a synagogue. I want you to see, I want you to see this. He steps into a synagogue in Luke chapter 4. So if you're in your Bibles, you can turn right to the next chapter. He steps into a synagogue. It's the first reported sermon ever from Jesus. He actually quotes a a portion of scripture from Isaiah 61. And I want you to see the necessity for being clothed with power. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He is on me. He has clothed me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it to an attendant, sits down, says all eyes are on him. And he says, today in your hearing, the scripture has been fulfilled. He says, the one that Isaiah prophesied, it's being fulfilled right now. But here's the point I want to make to you. I want you to see the necessity of the Spirit of God clothing us and empowering us and the necessity of the anointing. Jesus does not say, Jesus does not say the Spirit of God is on me and has given me gifts to set the oppressed free. It doesn't say that he's given him talents. It doesn't say that he's given him charisma. The scripture says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus and anointed him, smeared him with oil in order that he could do the work of God. You see, there's a really big difference between being gifted and anointed. And the problem today is we really don't know the difference between the two. 
So you can watch someone that has a lot of skill and gifting, and not that there's anything wrong with that. We can say, oh, look how anointed they are. But yet everyone's staying in bondage. You know why? Because the scriptures say it is the anointing that breaks the yoke of slavery. What we don't need is more gifted leaders. We need more anointed leaders. We need an anointed church. We need a church that recognizes their insufficiency to do the work of God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he teaches us right here that, that the connection is this, that the Spirit provides power for ministry. What ministry? Two things primarily, effective witness and mighty works, which is healing and deliverance. Jesus is saying without the anointing, without the enclothing power, you cannot do these things. Our talent, our skills, our gifts could never accomplish these things. But I wonder this. I wonder how much in our church today are we engaging in activities that we could do without the Holy Spirit. This is what it really looks like to follow Jesus. This is what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. They're full of the Spirit, clothed with the Spirit. They have, they have an authority as they preach the gospel, and they go around with mighty works to defend and reveal that, reveal that the kingdom of God is here. Everything else we can do in our own strength. So how much of what we're doing is actually relying on the anointing, or is it relying on our gifting and our talents? What would happen if the Holy Spirit left our meeting? Would we recognize any difference in our lives? What if the Holy Spirit left your life? Would you recognize any difference in your personal life if the Holy Spirit were to leave? I would like to say, yes, I know in terms of this corporate gathering, I would like to think that if the Holy Spirit left, right away we'd recognize something's wrong here. What would happen if, uh, I think it was Ben Fitzgerald who said when Facebook went down a few weeks ago or months, and he said, I wonder how many ministries are built on social media rather than on the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many are in panic mode right now because there's no longer posts that they can make. It's nothing wrong with using that, but it's got to be, we have to understand something, that it's the anointing of God that sets people free. And we have to hunger for the Spirit of God to clothe us. J.I. Packer, I love it, he said this. J.I. Packer said, that which you win people with, you win them too. So if we win them with gimmicks and cheap stuff, that's what people think it's about. And I want to I win people with the simplicity of the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel. I want to share one other thing with you real quick on this. Paul, can you bring up that picture? I just, I just wanted to share this. It's a little bit off, off track in some ways, but it's not. Anyone know what this is? This, goes, this, is a, this is an olive press. This is an olive press. I just want to speak to the anointing. I feel like I needed to share this for some people because you may be walking through something. There are a lot of ways in which God... We're, there may be touches from God, but then there has to be stewardship for what he's released. So I believe God's going to release something here today, but then I believe there has to be stewardship. And one of the ways in which God produces anointing, I'm going to show right here. This is an olive press. Can everyone see this? From biblical times. You've got a cylinder-like structure that you would put the olives in. You've got that round piece. That's, that's the crushing stone. And you have this long piece of wood. And what would happen is they put the olives in that little groove in that structure on the ground. And then someone would take that long piece of wood, that log, and they would begin to push it around in a circle like this. Or they'd use a donkey. And as they pushed it around, that, that millstone would begin to crush the olives. And as the olives were crushed, the oil would begin to come out. Listen to me. We don't want to hear this 
in the church day and age that we live in. The reality is, is that in order for God to produce an oil in our life, an anointing in our life, he's going to take us through processes of crushing. When this millstone would come around and crush the olive, you know what it was doing? It was crushing the flesh of the olive. And then the the oil would begin to be released. I want you to know that God in his goodness, you can trust him, will take us through processes in order of which he has to crush our flesh so that oil can be produced from our life. If you are walking through something, you say, why am I going through this? There are probably a number of reasons that God is is doing what he's doing, but know this, know this. God, through it all, is producing an oil. He's producing an anointing. So I want to come to this last scripture, or last two scriptures, but it's, it's this final scene. Jesus, throughout the gospel of Luke, is empowered by the Holy Spirit, clothed with the Holy Spirit in order to do the work of God. And we see him fulfilling this scripture we just read, By him going and crossing every boundary to reach the lost, he reaches the one, he speaks with authority, and not only that, we see him healing and delivering and so on and so forth. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, you cannot miss this, at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus dies, resurrects, and before he ascends, listen to what he tells his disciples. Luke 24, verse 49, I'll put up on the screen. He says this, he says, I I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says, but stay in the city until you have been clothed, clothed with power from on high. Well, that's interesting. That sounds a lot like what Jesus went through at his baptism. Before he started ministry, he was clothed with power. And now before Jesus leaves, he tells his disciples, wait here, and you will be clothed with power just like I was for ministry. He's literally saying, you cannot move forward without this, because if you do, you will be unprepared for what I am leading you into. And what Luke teaches us is that the bearer of the Spirit, who is Jesus, is now the bestower of the Spirit. In other words, the one who carried the Spirit in a way that we have never seen, It remained on him, and he had it without measure. He is now the one that gives it. And the point is, is that we can now walk in what Jesus walked in. So Acts chapter 1, Luke's second book, he says this. You know how that starts up? Luke says this. In my previous book, meaning the gospel of Luke, he says, I I begin to share with you all that Jesus began to do and teach. The very first verse. The implication is, Luke is saying, I started with telling you all that Jesus began to do and teach. In this book, I will teach you all that Jesus continued to do and teach. Except one thing. Jesus is not going to do it. It's the church that's going to do it now. But if the church is going to do the very same thing that Jesus was doing, it would need the same empowerment that he walked in. You see, Paul's Paul's letters, Paul's epistles... They speak often about the Holy Spirit, but they do so in the context of the inward working. We went through that in Romans 8. Salvation, adoption, how it seals us. But the point of Acts is to speak about movement of the gospel, which means every time the Holy Spirit is emphasized in Acts, it's not to speak to salvation and the inward working. It's to speak to empowerment that is necessary for ministry. Now, I don't know exactly how it always works, but I know this. I know this, that there is, there is an empowerment that we need to receive and walk in when and how it happens and what's the, 
what's the uh, result or, or what does it look like when it happens, I think, we, I think we'd be foolish to try to put God in, in one tiny box and say this is what it always looks like. But what I do know is that there's more and we need to hunger for it. He says this, last scripture, he says, Acts, in, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says when you receive this, listen to what he emphasizes. It's power. The word is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite from. It's an explosive power. He's not speaking about being born again here. He's saying you're going to receive a power that will lead you to be an effective witness. I love the way Bill Johnson says it. He says that the Spirit is in you for your sake, but he's come upon you for the sake of others. You have been clothed with power in order that they can see a demonstration of the kingdom. And the last thing I'll share with you right here is the difference of Pentecost versus every other experience of the, Old Test uh, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The disciples waited in the room like they were told. They waited in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. It falls upon them. Many of you know the story. It's like rushing winds and tongues of fire fall on them. And they're accused of being drunk on wine because they're speaking in tongues. And Peter stands up. And Peter quotes Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And in this quoting of Scripture, he actually teaches us how this outpouring is profoundly different than every move of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Because the first thing that Peter says is in the last days. He says, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my flesh on all people. He does not say day. Last days speak to when Jesus ascended and to when he returns. There's a period. We live in the last days. Which means the last days is to be one that is categorized by fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring. And then Jesus said, or then Peter says this, and the Spirit will be poured out on sons and daughters, and they will prophesy. He says on young men, and they will dream dreams, and on old men, they'll have visions. He says even on male servants and female servants, it will be poured out. The point is, is that the Holy Spirit now is permanent and it's universal. Anyone can receive it. Anyone can walk in it. Anyone can be clothed with the power and do the same things that Jesus was doing. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come back up. If Johnny and Caesar could hang tight there for a second. But I want to close right here. In just a moment, I'll, I'll pray for us. And then those that want to stay, I pray that, I pray you all would. I'll, we'll lay hands on every single person that's here. I, I truly believe that, that there's going to be releasing of just fresh oil, clothing, and we need to see that we, are, we absolutely need this. We absolutely need to walk in the power of God. The Lord showed me a picture here that I believe is, speaks to us as a body. The backdrop of this moment of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was actually a religious festival. It was a religious activity. It was called the Feast of Weeks. And so if you can imagine this scene where this, this outpouring is taking place, the backdrop is, is you have this massive gathering of people for religious activity. Most likely there's somewhere around 180,000 people that gathered. And of those 180,000, 120 to 150 came from outside countries. And the reason why I think that is important is as I begin to think about this, I feel like the Lord said there's, there's two types of people that would, that would come to this, that would come to this religious activity. 
There were those whose hearts were callous to the things of God. They simply were doing this because this is what they've always done. This is the religious duty that they have to do. They have to go to this feast. But then there would be others that were actually quite curious and wanted to know if God is who he says he is. And so in the midst of this religious activity where you had both the callous and the curious, God sets a church on fire. A church that was so filled with the Holy Spirit that they produced conviction to the callous but comfort to the curious. And I believe God said, this is what I want to do in this body, in the scape of Long Island where there's this just religious death. Some are curious. Some just go because this is what we've always done. God is looking to set a church on fire that in the midst of all this, they're going to produce conviction for those that have just been so cold and say, man, I need to come back to my first love. And for others that really don't know but they're hungry, they're going to see the truth when they encounter the power of God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I said before, one of the great mistakes I think we can make when God releases an empowerment like this is we try to put him into a box and say this is what it always looks like but I think the scriptures actually attest to the fact that many times it looks different sometimes people when they are clothed with power sometimes they begin to speak in another language I've seen portions of scripture where I don't see that always happening but what I do know is that God has made something available and I believe we should always be pursuing more and to hunger for more and what I do know is that when you receive and you are touched by this power, you don't walk away saying, I wonder if, if I was touched. Peter denied Jesus before a servant girl the night that he was betrayed. The man who couldn't even stand up and be bold before a servant girl when he was clothed with power stood up before the Jews who had persecuted and put Jesus to the cross. And he was able to stand up with boldness because he was clothed with power. And 3,000 gave their life to him. It says in the book of Judges, a man by the name of Gideon, God called him and said, Gideon, I'm, I'm raising up you to set Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. And Gideon was bound in fear. He said, you've got the wrong guy. I don't have what it takes. I'm from the weakest clan. He then began to say, well, do this. And I know you're really calling me. God did it. Then he said, well, do this then. Do something else. And God did it. And he still wrestled with it. But then God took this man and dwindled his army down to 300 and sent him into battle against an army of 135,000. 450 to 1, he was outnumbered. But before he went into battle, chapter 6, verse 34 says, And the Spirit of God clothed Gideon. And the man who was bound in fear was empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out and lead the people. This is what we need as a church. Say, Jesus, clothe us. Clothe us with power. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.